Welcome in and welcome aboard another episode of a show to be named later here. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for joining us. Whether you found us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, Radio.com, wherever it is that you get your podcasts, thanks for listening. Thanks for following on Twitter at Seth Goldberg17 or on Facebook, Seth Goldberg Sports. And uh, we got a good one today. Really enjoy talking with our guest, Dan Duggan, from The Athletic. He covers the New York Giants. Uh, Always great to talk to Dan. He always has some great insight. And so we're going to talk to him about the NFL draft coming up, what the Giants might do, where where they're kind of laser-focused, and a little bit more. That was awesome. And then uh, on Wednesday morning, Dr. Fauci kind of outlined how we get sports back. So let's listen to him. Let's take a look at it. And let's dive into that a little bit after we talk to Dan. But first, here's Dan Duggan from The Athletic here on a show to be named later. All right, now joined as promised by the Athletics Giants beat reporter Dan Duggan to talk a little bit about Big Blue as we head towards the draft next week. Uh, Dan, before we dive in on the Giants, thanks so much for coming on. How are you doing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on, and I hope you're uh, you're doing well. Yeah, doing well here, hunkered down, and uh, you know, look, looking at the Giants' kind of big picture. I know you spoke with with Dave Gettleman yesterday on on a conference call. Um, what what was kind of the big takeaway from what Gettleman said about a week week and a half out from the draft? Yeah, this is really the first time you know he's spoken since before free agency, so that was the first uh, chance to, to sort of take his temperature on the moves they made. And but you know it's been a little while now, so I think you know the, the focus has sort of sort of shifted more to the draft. And I think really what we're trying to do at this point is. Uh, gauge how much you know he feels like free agency set them up for the draft. So um, you know, I think if you just looked at you know their haul and free agency, you know, of course they you know kind of spent big money on, on James Bradbury, Blake Martinez, uh, of course franchise tag Leonard Williams, um, but they left some pretty big holes. You know they really didn't do much at edge rusher and offensive tackle uh, or center. So I think you looked at those three spots as you know kind of priorities going into the draft. Um, you know, I think obviously with that first round pick, whether they stay at four or trade back, um, you know, offensive tackle is certainly in the mix there. So for me, uh, even my biggest takeaway was that, um, it really feels like that's the way they're leaning. Now, could they take Isaiah Simmons, the Clemson linebacker? Sure. But it just feels like, um, you know, the way Gettleman spoke about their free agency plan and how, uh, they didn't do a lot of tackle because of, you know, what they felt was available in the draft. To me, I don't know that you can, sort of, you know, put things on hold and for agency and hope you get a guy in the middle round. I think if you know that you can get a guy with the fourth pick, uh, you're able to, you know, not spend big on a tackle because, you know, you kind of have more of a, a short thing in the draft. So that was my probably biggest takeaway, just, you know, based on how for agency unfolded. It seems like they went into that, you know, with a pretty good idea that they'll be able to get a tackle uh, early in the draft. You know, you touched on it there, and you said tackle early, but if they stay at four, uh, do you think it's as simple as offensive tackle or Isaiah Simmons, or or is there maybe another player or two that that could make things intriguing? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, there's there's three variables uh, in front of them, so that's going to have a a big impact on how things play out. I think, you know, the consensus is, you know, Joe Barrow will go one, Chase Young will go two. Uh, Now, if Chase Young somehow were to slide, whether the Redskins traded a really good curveball and drafted a quarterback. Uh, somehow he got past Washington and Detroit. I mean, they'd have the card up. Uh, well, I guess not up because they're not going to be doing it in person this year, but they'd be uh, 
you know, entering their pickets as fast as possible to take Chase Young. But let's let's say that's you know highly unlikely. Um, yeah, I think that's really the tackles and Simmons are the main candidates. But um, you know, Jeff Okuda, the cornerback from Ohio State. I mean, could they really go all in at corner after Josiah and James Bradbury? I mean, it's possible. I think it's unlikely. You know, when you consider that they you know traded up into the first round for DeAndre Baker last year. Now, granted, they didn't have a very good rookie year. Uh, but it seems like they probably wouldn't, you know, kind of double or triple down on that position in such a short period of time. Um, the other name you hear out there, and you can never rule it out with Gettleman, uh, based on his fondness for defensive tackles, uh, is Derek Brown from Auburn. I mean, there, I think there is, you know, such thing as too much of a good thing, and I know you're, you know, you're not supposed to uh, draft for need and everything like that, but I, mean, I, I think if there's one spot this team is, is pretty well stocked, it's that interior defensive line, so I'm not sure. Um, even if they have Brown as the best player on their board, it would make a ton of sense to take him. But again, you know, you can't can't totally rule it out because you know Gettleman has shown uh, he has no problem loading up on, on defensive tackles. But I think you know the smart money is on uh, one of the offensive tackles or the Simmons. Yeah, I want to ask you about the defensive tackles with Leonard Williams, but we'll do that a, a little bit later. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, offensive tackle, obviously, and, and you mentioned edge rusher as well uh, as a big need. Uh, you know, which one do you think is the bigger need right now, um, or, or is there is there a third on this team? I mean, it seems like it's offensive and defensive line. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the the needs might be equal. I think more as you know, at this stage of the offseason, the ability to fill those needs, but I think the offensive line, you know, presents uh, a much more direct route with that fourth pick because, again, assuming Chase Young is off the board, there isn't, you know, a next edge rusher who's worthy of, you know, a top five, top ten even pick if they trade back a bit. So, um, you know, it really feels like they're going to have to uh, sort of patch a pass rush together this year with hopefully some of the, you know, young guys that have taken in the last couple of drafts step up and, um, you know, I'm sure they'll take another guy in the middle rounds this year, but um, the ability to get like a blue chip edge rusher, I think that ship is you know pretty much sailed. Um, they can get a, a blue chip offensive tackle. Um, you know, I think the consensus is, however you want to rate you know the top four tackles, uh, you know in whatever order, I think they're all considered top ten, top fifteen guys. So um, there's a much more direct path to uh, to filling that void. And, you know, there's, there's plenty of needs on the team. I mean, you don't win 12 games over three years by accident. Uh, there, there's a lot of holes and, um, you know, they're still relatively early in this rebuilding process. Um, so, you know, you could certainly look at center, who I think that's probably a, a spot to target early in the second round. Uh, you know, safety, uh, some, you know, pretty good question marks there. Uh, and then a guy like Simmons, I mean, he, you know, he might not fill one specific position, but just the, the level of talent and uh, athleticism and versatility, um, you know, he might just be too much to pass up in terms of, like, listen, he might not be an edge rusher. He might not be a free safety, but he can, he can rush off the edge. He can play free safety. He can play a uh, linebacker. So um, you know, he's really the wild card, which is fitting because he's sort of a uh, – a Swiss Army knife type of player, so it's hard to pin him down, uh, you know, at any one spot. But he, you know, his overall package of, of abilities might just be too much for him to pass up. So I wanted to ask you, really, in regards to Simmons, you know, how much do you weigh draft history? Because I, I'm sure you know this, but you know, no giant, uh, the Giants haven't taken a linebacker in the first round since Carl Banks, which like just continues to kind of surprise me when I when I read that every year. Um, <laughs> but you know, Dave Gettleman, you know, even with going to Carolina, has been a part of the Giants organization for a while. Um, you know, do you think that plays into things at all? 
I mean, yes and no, man. I think Simmons is so unique that, you know, I, I don't think that, you know, obviously this franchise is just non-valued linebackers for, you know, years and, and different regimes. Um, but again, I don't think you'd be looking at Isaiah Simmons as, you know, your standard, you know, inside linebacker. You know, he's just such a versatile weapon. I think the factor that might push him over the edge if the Giants do, in fact, take him, which, again, you know, we're obviously speculating here. A lot can change in the next 10 days or so. Uh, it would be kind of the Joe Judge factor where he's, you know, sort of unknown in his own right. I mean, he was in New England. That's really where he got all of his, uh, you know, NFL training. But he's never been in this position before, so we can only sort of uh, take little clues from, from what we know to this point. And obviously, uh, you know, the Patriots is a defense that it does seem to really like versatile guys. Joe Judge just said, you know, every time you speak, how important versatility is. So if you want to, you know, look at those breadcrumbs, maybe that makes, you know, Isaiah Simmons more of a fit. Um, but to your point, yeah, I mean, Gettleman and the Giants of the organization, you know, haven't put, you know, a real heavy draft value on linebackers. Uh, it's really head-scratching when you consider, you know, how big of a, a piece of those, you know, championship teams in the, the 80s and the 90s, uh, you know, were the linebacking core, but they've certainly gone away from that. And uh, so maybe Simmons is the one to uh, finally buck that trend. Last one from uh, for for the Gettleman type of stuff before moving on to a few other things to wrap up. But looking at at Leonard Williams and that defensive tackle position, um, the the trade seemed head scratching at, at the time because of what you mentioned, where they had a pretty good stockpile of defensive tackles. Now he's franchise tagged. Um, you know, I saw that that Dave Gettleman said they they would like to try and work out an extension uh, when he spoke with you yesterday. Where where do you see that situation going, and and how Leonard Williams fits in given all the other pieces that this team already had at that position. Yeah, well, I mean, they've obviously made him, you know, sort of the top priority um, by, you know, giving up the assets to trade for him last year and then also, you know, franchise tag, which they, they weren't going to let him leave. They weren't going to let him test the market. They weren't even going to risk the transition tag where, um, you know, teams could have negotiated with him. They determined that um, we're just going to lock him up. So whether it's on the franchise tag for, you know, one year or I think both sides, uh, you know, would like to, you know, come to a long-term agreement to have a couple more months to, to talk about that. It doesn't seem like anything, you know, imminent from, from what I can gather. It's you know, pretty quiet on that front. Um, so I think, you know, sort of worst-case scenario is, you know, Williams plays on the tag this year. And, I mean, listen, if you're in his shoes, you can do a lot worse. $16 million guaranteed for one season. And then, you know, he hits the market again next year, and he's only 26 years old. And, um, you know, presumably has a better year because he obviously did not have a great contract year with trade. You know, wasn't super productive last season. You know, certainly not the box score at least. Um, he could even boost his uh, his value. So that might be the best thing for him. I think if the Giants, uh, it's in their best interest to you know, try to come to some sort of three or four year agreement where you can lower the cap a little bit this year. Uh, you can lock him in place so you don't have to go through this all again uh, next year. And, you know, Williams, I mean, I, I certainly don't think it was wise to give up the draft picks for him. I don't know that, you know, kind of a $16 million cap charge for him this year is wise. That being said, I mean, he's still their best defensive lineman. And uh, was that a dire need that they, they needed to give up draft picks to acquire him? You know, no, I don't think so. I think they could have got by with Dalvin Tomlinson and Dexter Lawrence and C.J. Hill and, you know, some other addition in free agency. Uh, but that being said, you know, Williams – you know, does make the defense better. I mean, he's a quality player. He's, he's, he's worth as much as the Giants give to think. You know, I, I disagree. But I think it sometimes gets lost in translation that you can criticize sort of the way the Giants have handled the situation while still totally admitting and conceding that Williams is a very good player and, you know, it's going to help this team. Uh, it's more about just sort of 
um, asset allocation in terms of how they're going about acquiring him and now keeping him. But uh, he's a quality player, and you know, having him on this on the field in 2020, um, you should help them. And again, I think ideally for the Giants, you know, he's a young guy, they lock him up for the foreseeable future, and you know, kind of have him and Dexter Lawrence these pieces they can build around, uh, you know, that defensive line. You know, it's funny, the way you described him at the end doesn't sound all that different from Saquon Barkley. You know, you, you can debate whether it was the, the right pick at number two and now seeing what Christian McCaffrey got paid uh, earlier in the week, in theory, Saquon's going to be up for that contract extension next year. Um, you know, but at, at the end of the day, he's still an incredible offensive weapon for them. Yeah, and, and that's why I think it, you know, especially on Twitter or whatever, you know, debates kind of lack any nuance. I mean, I was one of the, the biggest people saying that, you know, they should not use the second pick on a running back, you know, Saquon, anyone else. I just, you know, that position has been so devalued. That being said, I mean, Saquon Barkley, as you said, is obviously an incredible talent, but, and here comes the problem. They haven't won anything in his first two years when he's on a, you know, relatively cheap deal. And now after year three, which, you know, certainly does look like they're going to be contenders, now you've got to pay in top of the market money because, you know, running backs get paid early. You know, we, we saw with McCaffrey, you know, as soon as he has extension, he got it this offseason. Uh, he started Ezekiel Elliott last year. I mean, even Todd Gurley, I mean, look, he didn't even play on his actual extension uh, before he got cut, but, you know, he cashed in early. I mean, they, 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 these guys, their agents, uh, understand the landscape. they got to get that guaranteed money and get it early. Um, so I'd be shocked if Saquon isn't, you know, cashing a big check next offseason. Uh, and then it just comes to, yes, it is, you know, sort of similar in some ways to Leonard Williams, where sure you have a good player, but is it in a salary cap league and where draft picks are at a premium, did you use your resources the best to, you know, to get those players or could you have better use those resources, um, you know, to get other players and, you know, maybe help the you know, overall health of the team more than kind of really heavily investing in those two guys. Last uh, overall topic here, and, and a couple questions on, on this one, is kind of how, how coronavirus and working at home is, is affecting everybody. And in theory, the Giants were going to get a little extra practice with Joe Judge being a new head coach, and not even a new head coach for them, just a new head coach, period. Uh, you know, what, what's been your read, or, or what's been the, the, the perception of, of kind of how they've been going about this, where, you know, he's in a tough position anyway, and, and now he's not able to meet the guys and, and kind of get in the building with them until who knows when. Yeah, well, Judge is actually scheduled to host uh, a teleconference on Wednesday afternoon where I promise he will say that he hasn't been a problem, you know, no excuses. That just seems like the type of guy he is. He's certainly not going to, you know, let any excuses enter the equation. But if we're being realistic, it's certainly going to be a pretty big obstacle. I mean, it's going to be an obstacle for 32 teams, but as you mentioned with Judge, you know, the the, the grade is a little tougher for him because, you know, not only is coming to a new team, he's never been a head coach. So whatever plans he had, whatever notebooks he's been compiling over the last eight years in New England, like once I get my job, here's how I'm going to run everything from, you know, day one of the offseason, you know, right out through the Super Bowl. Well, all that's out the window basically because now it's you know, totally un- uncharted territory. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's a big disadvantage, um, you know, as far as how they're, you know, doing business, I would think to date it hasn't been a significant change. I mean, certainly the pre-draft stuff is different, uh, but I don't think there's any real advantage or disadvantage there to being a new coach because, I mean, you know, everyone goes through this process every year and it's different guys. I think once we start to get into, you know, the, the off-season program, which, you know, starts virtually next week, uh, that's when the gap will start to probably widen a bit because, 
if I'm a team like the Chiefs that obviously is, you know, coming off a Super Bowl and bringing back a lot of players, we're going to run the same scheme, it be a lot easier for them to you know, pick up where they left off, you know, whenever they get back in the building and really start, you know, practicing on the field. Whereas the Giants, it's, you know, you're going to be really installing things, you know, over Zoom and, and, and these types of things and not getting on the field at all for, you know, potentially, I don't know, I don't want to speculate how long that's going to be until they're actually on the field practicing. Um, so there's no way uh, that that won't be a challenge. But, I, again, I just don't see Joe Judge leaning into that at all just based on uh, sort of the, the persona he projects, you know, when he speaks to the media. But I, I assume he'll say, you know, everything's fine and, and you know, full steam ahead, but I think if we're being realistic, it's uh, it's a pretty big obstacle, and I think it's, you know, it's going to make his first season pretty difficult. And then the last one, and it's along these same lines, but how does this affect what Daniel Jones is doing? Obviously, he's a huge piece of, of what this team has to do moving forward, and, you know, year two, he not only has a, a new coach and a new offensive coordinator, uh, he doesn't get to meet them, uh, much like everybody else around the league. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's you know, he's kind of a microcosm of that larger point with, with Judge and the rest of the team, but certainly um, you know, I think everyone looked at this as going to be a huge offseason for Daniel Jones because you figure last year you, know, you, you kind of joined midstream already when you're, you're coming off the draft. You know, guys have already been working out for a couple of weeks. Guys have been um, you know in the building and, and been with the coaches. Uh, and then not only that, he came in as a backup. He really never you know went through a training camp as a starting quarterback, getting all of them one rep. You know, having the offense you know tailored strictly to his skill set. Um, you know, you got thrown in, you know, in the middle of the season and, and so I had to figure it out. So you figured all that experience, super valuable. And then, you know, a new staff, that's a little bit of an adjustment, but, you know, you can hit the ground running as a starter. And now, you know, you know, he might not, uh, be on the field, you know, running JC Dad's plays until August or, you know, hopefully even by then. Um, but yeah, that's, that's certainly going to be, uh, a, a big challenge. I mean, Cole McCoy, uh, was uh, going into his second year in Cleveland when the 2011 lockout happened and, and he said that that was a huge, you know, sort of thing that set him back going into the second season where you want to build on your rookie year. Then you go a whole off season without being able to, you know, practice and really, uh, you know, work with the coaches a little different than the lockout because they couldn't even do the stuff virtually that the Giants will be able to do and the rest of the league will be able to do. But, you know, the point remains that, uh, going into your second season, you would think that's going to be a big leap. And, you know, I, I don't think this is going to be crippling, but it certainly, uh, you know, adds another uh, obstacle to, to Jones's pass. And, uh, you know, again, same deal. You know, for a, a veteran quarterback who's been in the same system, uh, they're going to have a pretty big advantage over a young quarterback you know, trying to learn a new system in this, you know, totally uncharted territory that, you know, they're going to be in. Dan, always enjoy talking with you. Always appreciate the time. Thanks so much, and uh, hopefully we'll do it again soon. Sounds good. Thank you. All right, so thanks again to Dan Duggan for joining us here on a show to be named later. As mentioned, always enjoy talking with Dan, and uh, you can catch his work on The Athletic. He does great stuff uh, breaking down the Giants each and every week during the season and then in the offseason, just kind of going and and finding some interesting stories to tell, and that includes – what they're going to do in the draft coming up uh, in about a week from now. Uh, As mentioned off the top of the podcast, though, Dr. Fauci kind of outlined how we get sports back. He was on a Snapchat show this morning, and uh, I left the question in so you can hear how it was asked, and then Dr. Fauci's answer after this. Let's take a listen to that first. 
People are still holding out hope for some kind of abbreviated baseball season this summer. College football will start in late August, NFL right after that. Do you think those sports seasons are in jeopardy? Are we going to have college football this fall? There's a way of doing that. Nobody comes to the stadium. Put them in big hotels, you know, wherever you want to play. Keep them very well surveilled, namely a, a surveillance, but have them tested like every week and make sure they don't wind up infecting each other or their family and just let them play the season out. I mean, people say, well, you know, you, you, you can't play without spectators. Well, I think you probably get enough buy-in from people who are dying to see a baseball game, particularly me. I'm living in Washington. We have the world champion Washington Nationals. You know, I want to see them play again. And so I think that's kind of what we expect the answer to be by now. I, I think that we have come to the, the realization that sports are not going to be the same this year, but there's the possibility that we can get them. If we do things the right way, if we go about uh, finding the right way to attack this and to address this, we can still get sports, but you're not going to go to a game. I'm not going to go to a game. We're not going to have that experience of watching our favorite teams in person. But right now, wouldn't you just settle for watching them on TV? Because I, I would. I certainly would. And, you know, I saw this last night, but the PGA Tour has announced their plans to come back. And now golf is a little bit of a different position than maybe, you know, the NBA or, or Major League Baseball. They're, they're kind of the social distancing sport. They're they're in position to sh social distance, uh, you know, w just by doing what they normally do, they don't need, they just can't have fans in attendance. Um, you know, but when you look at other sports, it provides um, a couple hurdles. You know, you've got to find a place that can house all of those players. You know, in the NBA, can you, can you do that in Las Vegas? Probably. You probably can. You can probably go to Vegas, take over a a hotel or two and, you know, just put up all the players, all the support staff, play in, in the couple of arenas that they've got in Vegas on UNLV's campus and, and in the beautiful NHL arena that is there. You could probably figure that out. Hockey, you could probably find somewhere that's got enough hockey rooms and enough rinks that you can play out your season. In baseball, that's a lot of people. And you would have to expand rosters, as we've talked about on this podcast before. You would have to expand rosters because you don't have a minor league system to draw from. And all of a sudden, you're talking about needing a lot of hotel rooms and a lot of residences and a lot of places for these players to stay and for these players to live. And I'm curious if there's somewhere that has that infrastructure. If you go back and listen to the episode we did with Danny Shays, we talked about this because Danny lives out in Phoenix and he said that, yeah, of course, there are the stadiums there and, and every team's spring training facility is within... I don't know, about an hour of each other in the Phoenix area. And they're all in that same general location, but they probably don't have the hotel rooms to put up that many people because you're talking about 30 teams. You're talking about, I don't know, probably probably about 35 or 40 players, coaches, support staff, you know, a, a, probably a couple of media people. And you, you just... It's difficult to find that many hotel rooms. So I do think that this is going to be uh, kind of a case-by-case -case basis. However, I think we're making strides towards that. I mean, you're hearing 
Dr. Fauci at least say it's a possibility to have this stuff this summer. And I think that's a good cause. I think that when you look at the report about Major League Baseball, it's a good sign. They have uh, entered into a testing phase where, where they're kind of the first ones. They're, they're kind of the test group for rapid response blood testing. And, and this story came out on, on ESPN.com uh, the other day. But you, you look at what they're doing and they're, they're going to uh, test uh, something like 10,000 employees. And it's part of a study to make sure that, that this testing works in the way that it's supposed to. And for now, Major Le- they're, they're saying that Major League Baseball did not do this to get tests early. But you have to look at this rationally and say Major League Baseball is looking at this and saying, hey, if we can get these tests up and running, if we can get these tests widespread, maybe that gets us back a little bit faster than we previously thought. And I don't think that that's a bad thought for them to have. I don't think that that is an unfair thought for them to have as they're presented with this opportunity. It's not selfish. It's not, you know, an unfair advantage that that they are, you know, this big business, Major League Baseball, and they're getting tests first. I think they're just being realistic that if they help out this testing company, if they ask, act as the study, which people, you know, need. They need a study group. You need a control group. And if they act as the control group, maybe these tests can get widespread enough that they can play games soon because they'll have access to some of these tests. So I think that we're all kind of snowballing and heading in the direction of we'll get some kind of sports this summer. I can't tell you what it is. I can't tell you when it is. But I think we're going to get games back. And I think that it is going to happen this summer. Does that mean June, July, August? Who knows? And when football season rolls around, the biggest question with college football, the biggest question there is whether the the, the universities are open. Because you can't have football players on the campus if you don't have everybody else on the campus. But outside of that, I think we're going to get sports back. And to to me that would be a welcomed readdition. That'll be a welcomed readdition. I'm 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 making do with Netflix and and all and Prime and and all those other things that you can find. Uh but it feel it feels like I'm I'm missing something. You know, it's it's been almost a month since live sporting events. And and while I I feel like I'm I'm doing all right, just the the simple comfort of you know putting your feet up at the end of a day and putting a baseball game or a basketball game on TV um it's a weird thing not to have and i think that you're seeing everybody miss it i think that you're seeing everybody miss it and at, at some point here i do think we're going to get that back and i do think that it's going to happen this summer based on the comments this morning and based on just kind of everything you're reading everything you're seeing out there So that does it for us today here on a show to be named later. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for stopping by. Don't forget, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, Radio.com, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Follow me on Twitter at SethGoldberg17 and like my Facebook, Seth Goldberg Sports. And uh, we'll keep 
pumping these out. I think we got another couple coming still this week, so make sure that you are following along. Thanks again for stopping by. This has been a show to be named later. We'll talk to you again very soon.